the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So what is the sign of Jonah, and why is it so significant that Jesus needs to mention it? We'll talk about that next on Abounding Grace. For a wicked generation, the only sign given is the sign of Jonah. So says Jesus here in Luke chapter 11. So what is the sign that the people are looking for? And what is the sign that Jesus is actually giving them? And why? The sign of Jonah is the topic of our discussion today here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you would join us as we are mutually encouraged in the study of God's Word. Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 36. Here's Pastor Gary with today's broadcast now of Abounding Grace. The sign of Jonah, taken from the verses that Kevin read earlier from Luke 11. Listening to the preaching of the gospel never leaves you the same. It always affects us. Its results are immediate and eternal, predictable and surprising delightful, and sometimes shocking. Our text today is about these effects and the results of listening to the gospel. And it also tells us why people respond to the gospel the way that they do. In Luke eleven twenty nine through 36, we have three closely related stories in the life of Jesus. In verses 29 and 30, Jesus promises the evil Jewish generation of his day that the only sign that they will get from him is the sign of Jonah. Then in verses 31 and 32, he holds them accountable for their unbelief and says that on judgment day, the queen of Sheba and the Ninevites will rise up to condemn them. Then in verses 33 through 36, He tells a little parable of the single eye and the evil eye. Now, did you notice what they all have in common? They are all related because they are concerned with the effects of the gospel on unbelief and on faith. So let's take a look at our text. It's obvious how this text relates to the one we talked about last week, particularly verse 16 which states, And others, to test him, were demanding from him a sign from heaven. If you remember from last week, we saw that after he cast out the demons, some of the onlookers said, that is Jesus, that he was only able to do so because he was in league or cahoots with the devil. Others of them said, that was impressive, but now give us a real sign. Something that will really prove that you are the Messiah. Casting out demons just isn't sufficient. 
raising people from the dead, healing the sick. Those are not enough. Give us a sign from heaven. Cause your name to be written in gold, letters a mile high. Well, they, of course, would have not even, they would have even misinterpreted that because in their heart they had no intentions of believing in Jesus. So in verses 29 and 30, you see Jesus' answer to the request of the Pharisees demanding a sign. He said, the only sign you are going to get from me is the sign of Jonah. He says, this is a wicked generation. And Matthew adds the words, an adulterous generation, because they were committing covenantal adultery against their covenant husband, the living God. It was a wicked generation. They refused to believe the prophecies of the Bible that were realized in the Lord Jesus Christ. They dared to insult Christ by asking for another miracle when he had a whole lifetime of miracles, every one of which were self-evident confirmations of his divinity. They were a wicked and adulterous generation. The entire generation of Palestinian Jews of the first century. Now, if you're going to understand the New Testament, you have to understand first century Palestinian Judaism. The Jews of the first century were the descendants of the people of God in the Old Testament whom God had separated for himself. They were recipients of God's grace, recipients of God's truth, and now they had so degenerated that by Jesus' day, this Jewish generation had lost contact with God and his word. They had become a wicked and adulterous generation who wanted signs to confirm their unbelief, whose religious leaders were leading them further and further away from the living God by their religion of legalism and externalism. Now, we have people today who say, that you have to understand first century Judaism in order to understand the Bible. Because, you see, Paul took his paradigm for salvation from first century Judaism, and nothing could be further from the truth. Again, this was a wicked and adulterous generation who lost all contact with God and who were being moved further away from God by the scribes and Pharisees. And when they came and asked Jesus for a sign, he said, no, you'll get no sign like you demand from me. The only sign that you will receive from me is the sign of Jonah. And it is that phrase that dominates all the stories that we are going to look at today. The only sign this evil and adulterous generation will get from me, Jesus said, is the sign of Jonah. Oh, well, what is the sign of Jonah? The answer that people give to that question, if they weren't so tragic, would actually be humorous. The Muslims take this verse and try to prove that Jesus did not die on the cross, nor did he arise from the grave. In fact, this is one of their main texts in trying to prove Islam and refute 
Christianity. Jesus said, I'm only going to give you the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah was three days in the belly of the well. So, I will be three days in the belly of the earth. And then as Jonah was spit out on the dry land, well, Jesus arose from the grave. The whole point, the Muslims say, is that Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to arise from the grave. I'm going to be like Jonah. Jonah went down into the belly of the well, but he didn't die while he was in the belly of the well. Jesus is going to be in the tomb for three days, but he's not going to be dead. That well, or whatever it was, sped Jonah out on the land. He wasn't resurrected. He didn't die. Muslims claim that Jesus was crucified, but he didn't die. And he himself testified to this by giving them the sign of Jonah. They say that he was resuscitated. And that Mary Magdalene went to the tomb not to anoint his dead body, but to massage that body back to life. And there is, in fact, a Muslim tradition that says Jesus died in old age in Kashmir, northern India, where his tomb remains to this very day. In fact, some Muslims are so confident in their argument that they declare that if any Christian can answer their argument about the sign of Jonah, they will turn from Islam and embrace the Christian faith. Uh, then there is an interpretation of the sign of Jonah, and it is by some of our Roman Catholic friends. Some of our Roman Catholic friends. They say that the sign of Jonah is the shroud of Turin, which is that piece of linen that was allegedly laid around Jesus' body after his crucifixion, and the bright light of his resurrection imprinted his image on that piece of linen, the Shroud of Turin. They say the sign of Jonah, or the Shroud of Turin, was given to the whole world as proof that Jesus is the Son of God. The Shroud of Turin tells the story of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. We know, they say, from this artifact that Jesus was resurrected even before four days because there are no signs of putrefaction on the image of the shroud. There are signs, however, of what Jesus endured, the marks of the passion and his crucifixion. Well, Jonah also would have shown the, the marks on his body from his ordeal. From the stomach acid of the well... Jonah probably had no hair left on his body, and his skin would have been bleached, white, and wrinkled. That's the, shine, the sign of Jonah, according to some Catholics. Now, there are a couple, these are a couple of the interpretations of what the sign of Jonah is. But what did Jesus say the sign of Jonah is? Of course, that's all that matters. And if you look at Matthew's account of the story, Matthew 29, 12, 39, and 40, you see without mistake what Jesus says the sign of Jonah is. He says in that passage explicitly that it is his resurrection. 
it says. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here Jesus is saying, I'll be dead for three days, and then on the third day I will be raised from the dead. My resurrection is the sign of Jonah. Now, some people have stumbled over that phrase, three days and three nights, where Jesus says that like Jonah, he's going to be three days and three nights in the earth. And if that is a literal statement, then there is no way he could have died on Friday and then been raised on Sunday. You just can't get three days and three nights into that period of time. So even as great a Calvinist as theologian Lorraine Bettner was, he so stumbled over this that he wrote a little appendix to a book that he wrote in which he said that this means that Jesus was then crucified on Thursday. Because you've got to have a full three days and three nights, and you can't get that in there from Friday to Sunday morning. Well, Any Jewish person of the first century will recognize this phrase as an idiomatic phrase, meaning three days or the part of three days. And that's all that this phrase means. No one ever meant for it to be taken literally. They understood that though the Greeks had a quicker and easier way to say three ways, that this three days, that this is the way the Hebrew said three days, or the best part of three days, three days and three nights. Let me give you one verse in the Old Testament. I could give you several, but this one verse in itself is used, and it is in this way, and it's usually, it obviously means just three days. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 12 and 13, from the King James Version, it says, For he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And then it says in the next verse, and my master left me behind three days ago. So as far as Luke or Matthew are concerned, to say three days and three nights is not the same as saying three days or the part of three days. So Christ was crucified on Friday, and more or less three days later, God raised him from the dead. It is a part of of three days, not a full three days. And that has been a major controversy throughout the history of the church. And that, Jesus says, is the sign of Jonah. When Jonah was swallowed by the sea monster, his career seemed to be done for. But Jonah returned alive to the Ninevites, urging them to repent of their sins, and the entire countryside did repent. When the Jews saw Jesus lying in the tomb after being crucified, they thought, hopefully, that his career was ended. But it most certainly was not. Jesus Christ returned by resurrection and continued his mighty work of salvation by judging the Jews for their unbelief and saving the Gentiles through their faith. He said, that is the sign. 
You think when I'm dead, it's over? It has just begun. And my death will not keep me from continuing this great work that I came to earth to do, of punishing unbelief in the Jews and anyone else who refuses to believe, and of bringing salvation to those who do believe, whether they be Gentiles or Jewish people. So the sign of Jonah, the resurrection of Jesus, meant for this wicked generation that Jesus was preaching to judgment and condemnation at the hands of the glorified Jesus. And that is still true today. It is something we don't generally like to think about. Because we like to be tolerant of all religions and all viewpoints. But Jesus Christ arose from the dead, not only to save those who believe, but also to condemn all those who refused to believe. In Psalm 21, we see a messianic song to this effect. This psalm is about David. But if you truly study it, you'll see that it's also about Christ, the great king. Notice what it says, and remember, David was certainly a type of Christ. Verse 7, For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Your hand will find out all of your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a fiery oven in the time of your angry anger. The Lord will swallow them up in His wrath, and fire will devour them. Their offspring thou wilt destroy from the earth. So Jesus is saying the sign of Jonah, when Christ is exalted, will mean salvation like the Ninevites to all who put their faith in him, but it will mean condemnation and judgment to those who do not. Now what is the purpose of this sign? Understand that the sign of Jonah is a sign, Jesus said, that is given to the unbelieving Israel of the first century, as well as to all unbelieving people since. Unbelieving Jewish people and their leaders were in a state of rebellion and unbelief and rejection. Jesus gave to them a powerful, irrefutable and dramatic sign, an empty tomb. And increasing crowds of Gentiles came streaming to King David's great son, but not the sign-seeking Jews. Now, why did Jesus give the unbelieving uh, Jews a sign? They demanded a convincing sign from him. And he said, the only sign that this wicked and adulterous generation will receive is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, I want you to notice something. Notice that this sign was to be given not to believers but to the unbelieving sign-seekers. The sign of Jonah is for the wicked, adulterous, and unbelieving to make, rebuke their rebellion, to leave them without excuse for their unbelief, to give them more to be accountable for on the day of judgment. So he is saying, what will my resurrection mean to you? It will mean further judgment. You will be held accountable for your inexcusable unbelief. And what will the wicked and unbelieving people of Jesus' day conclude concerning the sign of Jonah? They will conclude that Jesus' resurrection never happened. 
That is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes concluded. Atheists, Bible critics, theological liberals, unbelieving Jews, Muslims, and others have concluded that Jesus was not resurrected from death. For them, Jesus is a mere man, a prophet, a Galilean holy man, a teacher of wisdom, but not the resurrected Son of God. To true Christians who acknowledge Christ's deity and resurrection by faith and who believe in this crucified and risen Christ, to us, salvation is given. To those who refuse to believe that Jesus is what he claims to be, the sign of Jonah is given. Christ arose from the dead simply to confirm and leave their unbelief without excuse. I think there's something we need to realize right off the bat and be realistic about, and that is what unbelievers of our day need is not more proof. You don't say, now, if you would just give me more proof, more convincing proof, Lord, then I'll become a Christian. That's what some were saying to Jesus. Just give us more proof. Yeah, you raise the dead and you cast out demons. We know all of that, but we need more proof. And Jesus said, I'm not going to give you any more proof. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah that will leave you accountable for your unbelief. So when we share the gospel with people, it's not more, more proof that we need to give to them. You know, look at all this logic, look at all this archaeological evidence, look at all this proof, look at all of this evidence. No, they don't need any more proof. They have the resurrection of Christ, the best attested event in all of human history. There is absolutely no reason to doubt the historicity of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. No reason at all. And Jesus said, this is the sign of Jonah. What you need is not more proof. What you need is faith in me that can only be given by God himself. Turn to Luke chapter 16, verses 27 through 31, and you'll see a related story here. It's about that rich man who went to hell and good old Lazarus who went to heaven. And here the rich man is talking, and he says in verse 27, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them unless they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, they have the Bible. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Someone arose from the dead, and they refused to believe him. Because they would not believe the word of the living God. A thing to understand, beloved, is that a person who is determined not to believe will not believe. He will find every reason under the sun to justify his unbelief, no matter how stupid it may be. Turn to Matthew 27. This shows you just how determined they were 
to not believe. Matthew 27, verse 62. Now the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that is Jesus, that deceiver said, Jesus, the deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, lest the disciples come and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go make it as sure as you know how. In other words, this guy, he's not going to arise from the grave in my region. And this is the point of all this. He is not going to arise from the grave as far as they're concerned. It's not going to happen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 40 Four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.